Well, if you want to open up a Bible or just pull one out, we're going to get into that eventually, but I kind of want to start from the beginning. That's why we're in Genesis, right? I want to start from the beginning. So this series is called Long Story Short. Can you show me that slide, Donnie? My all-star slideshower. Is a picture there? It's not there. All right. There we go. Thank you. Long story short. So we, last week, we started at creation, and we talked a bit about that, and we'll, we'll review a little. I did that last week, too. We started at creation, and then this week, we are in chaos. So everyone go, ah! How many of you have had one of those moments at work, in the car? Maybe you actually did it out in public, where I'm going to try to cover my mic and do this where you just wanted to go, ah! Or you do it into a pillow. How many of you screamed into a pillow before? Okay, psychos. No, I've done it too. Like, you just, you just feel like there is chaos around, right? Like, things are not doing what they're supposed to do. Things are not working the way they should. How many of you realize, even if you get a new car in five years, something's going to break down on it? I don't understand why, even if you get a new car, in two years you have to replace the tires. Like they must put the cheapest tires on this new car. But not beyond even that, like things go wrong, don't they? There used to be a, a bumper sticker when I was a little kid, and I can't read the whole thing to you, but it said things happen. You know what I mean? It said things happen. There's chaos. There's destruction. And, and we know that naturally things go towards disorder and not order. Like If I don't tell my kids to clean up and I go into their room... I'm going to hurt myself on the landmine of Legos. And I, even if I tell them to clean up, it doesn't last very long, does it? Things tend to go towards disorder and chaos. And why? Well, we're going to get into that in a moment. First, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this. All Scripture is inspired by who? God. And it's what? It's useful to teach. I want you guys to, see, guys to say this. To teach me. Point at yourself. I know it's not polite to point, but it's okay if it's you. It's useful to teach me what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's where the righteousness comes from. Right. So God determines what is right. We see that in Genesis. In Genesis 1, God creates things and he, he says it's good. He says it's good over and over again. Then he creates humanity. And he says, it's very good. Great humans, it says it's very good. Because they're created in the image of God. They are image bearers, reflectors of the glory of God. And, and that's who he's called them to be. So uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about this. And we're going to do a little bit of review to catch up. Some of you, I know, probably haven't, have, have slept since last Sunday. You've forgotten this. So I, I want to go back to it. Some of you maybe haven't heard it yet. So I want to give you this fundamental basis that we're working from. We talked about, before we even started the series, we had a prequel where we talked about what the Bible is. And we see that 66 books. It's written by uh, different authors. They're, they're writing under the inspiration of God. It spans about 1,500 years. And they all have a common thread. And, and we see that they all work together. And then we saw that there's typically the, the smallest amount. I'm going simple here, guys, okay? Four different types of biblical, biblical literature. And we talked about the narrative, and that's the true story. We see that in Genesis. We talk about epistles, which are letters, and that's in Romans. 
poetry and art. We find that in Psalms and Song of Solomon, things like that. And then we talked about wisdom and advice, and we find that in Proverbs. And sometimes these things are mixed together, so we see them together, but generally there's four different types. And then there are ways that people interpret the Bible, right? So there's the literal, that's the plain meaning. The moral, that's ethical lessons. The allegorical, there are two levels, and there's types and and foreshadowings and, and, and kind of stories that are being told into the future. And then there's the word I can't say, anagoglical, numerology and and other things like that. So typically, the way I interpret scripture, when I look at it, is I first go to to the first one is, what is the literal and plain meaning? What's the easiest way to understand this because I'm simple, right? And so I think God has given us the Bible so that we can know what his plan is and what he's telling us, and he tries to make it easy for us to understand, so he tells us plainly what he wants us to know right? And so when we go through this, we see that there's a literal and plain meaning. And that brings us to a a wonderful word called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics, it's bridging the gap between our current time and culture and geography and language to the biblical writers. So it's, it's moving us from where we are right now to an understanding of what they may have known. And I talked about how in the gospel, sometimes it says, and Jesus went up to this city. And we realize that when we go over there in the geography, the elevation changes and he's actually going up. It's not just north, right? And then we look at other things and we realize that uh, culture is, this is a cultural thing. Like when we talk about shepherds and, and being the good shepherd, they would have an understanding of what that meant. And Jesus talked a lot in agricultural terms because they would have an understanding of what that meant. So sometimes we kind of have to dive into that to understand what it's saying. And we went over some of the rules of, of hermeneutics. And, and one of them is that it can't mean something different than the original intent. So when we're reading scripture, it can't mean something completely different today because times have changed. That's not how scripture works. Also, scripture must be interpreted. I think I may have left this out last week, and I wanted to go back and really say this. Scripture must be interpreted in light of other scripture. So if there's confliction, then we need to go to other verses in order to understand. And sometimes this helps us understand the word of God if we look at bigger sections of it. So if we see at the big view, the long story short type of idea, we have a, a grand view of it, then we can understand it a little bit better. Okay, so that's just a really quick synopsis of that. And, and last week we talked about how there were in Moses' time, because we see that Moses most likely wrote Genesis. Most people believe that he wrote that, and he documented the stories that he heard traditionally and had been passed down from him from generation to generation. We see uh, a worldview that's presented by Moses, and he was very, very intentional in trying to get his people, the Israelites, to understand what God was speaking to them, the Jewish people. And he wanted them to have a monotheistic view versus the world's pagan view. And so a pagan view has all of these things over on the left, and a monotheistic view has all of these things over the right. The heaven and earth are diverse, and therefore many gods exist. So I'm going to boil it down to that for you today. So a pagan Pagans believe that there are a lot of different gods, like, and every god is in control of something. And then the gods fight each other, and they war against each other, and they can die, and they can do all these things, and they fight each other. And basically, they're just more powerful 
people, and they, they do the same thing that people do. They're just as messed up as people. Now, a monotheistic view believes that the, the universe is unified as the creation of one true God, that it all follows general principles and laws that are laid out by God, that mathematics and all of these things come from one place, one God. And so as believers in Jesus Christ and, and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, you go, well, that's three gods. No, it's the triune God, right? It's still monotheistic. They would say it's one God. And when we look at Genesis 1-1, we see the Trinity involved, and then we can go back to John chapter 1, and we see that as well. We see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit was hovering over it, and he spoke it into existence, which is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is the Word made flesh. So we see that God is a triune God when it comes to biblical worldview. So back in Moses' day, there weren't probably anything or anybody who really ascribed to an atheistic worldview. That, that means that there's no God and, and things just happen to come about, right? That from nothing came nothing that created something. Now, as, as a believer in Jesus Christ and as a believer in creation and God, I believe that God pre-existed creation, resides outside of it, influences it when he desires, and set the principles in place that create things. And, and when you look at Genesis chapter 1, you see that. It says that all the animals made creatures as to themselves, right? So all the bunnies could make more bunnies, right? All the people could make more people. And an apple tree didn't make a cherry tree. It made another apple tree. And that's what they did. So God created the mechanisms for things to multiply and to fill the earth. In fact, that was one of the commands he gave Adam and Eve. He said, multiply and inhabit the earth. Have dominion over it. Take care of it. And we talked about how God actually gave Adam his name. And, and he spoke over them. And then he told Adam to name all of the creatures of the earth. And a, giving somebody a name shows authority over them. And think about it. You name your kids. You're kind of their creator in some ways, right? Some of you have threatened them that way. I have brought you into this world, and I can make it really difficult for you later, right? So, so God has given us authority over creature, creation, and he's called us to maintain it and to be good stewards of it. And so that's where we see a monotheistic viewpoint, and there's a big difference. And, and now we could even add another third over here, which is atheistic, which believes that Honestly, there is no higher God than humanity. But let's boil it down a little bit closer. I think a lot of times it's defining good and evil in their own eyes, okay? So this is, this is the desire of most humanity is to define what is good and what is right for ourselves. Then there are no real absolute truths, right? There's no absolute laws. We determine what is good. And we're going to get into that in just a second because I think we all do this in some ways, all right? Okay, so how many of you know everything now? Go, woo! Okay, so there's, there's many different types of, of, of writers in the Scripture. This is one of the amazing things. You have, you have fishermen, you have kings, you have uh, shepherds, you have murderers, you have adulterers. You have all of these types. Every type of person you can imagine just 
a poor person, a wealthy person, the wise person, the person that went and struggled through all of life, God inspires them to put this library, this collection that we get to hold and call the Bible together, and it is the Word of God that He has given us to, for us to understand who He is, why He's made us, and what He expects of us, right? So we, we talked a little bit about that. This, this week, we're going to talk about chaos. Everyone say chaos. chaos. All right, good. I know you're awake. Thank you. All right, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is at the very beginning, so it's kind of easy, but we're going to look at that. So God creates all of this, and he says, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then he creates Adam and Eve, and he says, this is very good. He's, he's pleased. He's happy with what he's made. And he has a relationship with, with them. It says that he walked in the cool of the garden with, with them in the evening, and he he, he talked with them, and they have this, this, this openness that, that we don't understand even today, where the, the man and, and woman were naked together, and, and there was no shame, and they, they would just walk around. They didn't have to go uh, buy clothes, and, and they didn't have credit cards, and they didn't have to worry about this. Their, their food was provided. They had a little work to do, but, but everything was good and was for them, except for one thing that God had told Adam not to eat of, and that was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so this tree is in the garden, and, and then it seems like next to it is another tree, is the tree of life. And that they can eat of. It gives them life. And then over here is this, this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and God said to Adam that if you eat of this tree, you will surely, what? Die. Okay, so that's, that's where we pick up chapter 3. And the header in my big honkin' Bible here says the ruin of God's creation. So chapter 3, verse 1 says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? the next one in there? There we go. Thank you. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will what? Die. Okay. No, let's go back there just for a second. All right. Let's look at what is said here. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. So, so what does the serpent say? The, the serpent starts to raise questions about who? God, right? He says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So he's casting doubt. He's casting doubt. H have you ever been pretty confident in something or someone, and then someone else comes along and goes, hey, what do you think their real motive is? Have you ever had that happen? And then you're like, what do you mean? And then you start thinking about that person negatively. This is why it, 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 when people are accused of something that they didn't do, it can still trash their reputation, right? If you're accused of something that you didn't do, it could still hurt how other people view you. So the serpents in the garden saying this, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? First of all, I want to point out something that, that's 
a lot of people think that the, the fruit that was on the tree was an apple. <laughs> but that's not my best guess. And I'll tell you why in a second, okay? So just think about what fruit it may have been. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. For God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Did God say you must not touch it? He said, don't eat it. He said, don't eat of it. So maybe Adam came along and told Eve, say, hey, honey, just so you know, God made this tree. It's full of poison. It'll kill you. If you eat it, you're going to die. So don't even touch it. Don't touch it. God said, don't touch it. So Adam created a barrier outside of law. So Eve is already telling something to the serpent that we don't see in Scripture. We don't see that. So the fruit of the middle of the tree of the garden you will not, you are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You will not, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what does the serpent tell Adam and Eve? He's telling them to be more like God, they have to what? Disobey God. To be more like God, you have to disobey God. In order to see the way God sees things, you have to form within your mind what is right. And maybe God was kind of wrong on this one. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Whoa, what? Adam was there the whole time. Some of you ladies need to hit your husband right now. Because I know we like to blame everything on Eve, like if she hadn't ate that. He was, dude was there the whole time, and he didn't take authority over that serpent. Who's in charge of the serpent? Adam and Eve, right? They're over that creation that God made. And so they do not speak to it. Instead, he's there the whole time, and he's just kind of saying, well, let's see what happens. Think about this. Think about how crummy Adam is in this situation because he knows that if she eats it, God has said what? You'll surely die. He's like, let's just see. And he lets her take the fruit and she eats it. And he's like, she's okay, right? So listen to this. She took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open. So did the serpent, did the devil lie to them? Did he also tell them some truth? Yeah. How many of you guys know that the best lies have a little bit of truth mixed into it? Aiden, put your hand down. My oldest son just raised his hand really high. We're going to talk later. No, you're right. You're right. The best lies have truth mixed into them. The devil doesn't create any lies all on his own. He takes what God has made and he bends it and he warps it to his own desire and he twists it within our mind and he creates within us a desire for something that God does not want. A desire for chaos over structure. So, 
At that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. All right, anyone guess what I think the tree was? Fig tree. Okay, funny thing about fig tree leaves. They itch like poison ivy. Okay, so think about that. They made clothes out of fig trees because they didn't know what they were doing. And they put that all over their regions. <laughs> I think immediately they were itching from their sin. I think immediately they were hurting because of what they had done. You see what I'm saying here? So why, and immediately we see they are hurting because what they, what they feel? What do they feel immediately? Shame. You see what's happened between this perfect marriage, the only perfect marriage that ever existed before? Right there. They, they were perfect. They, they, they didn't have anything between them. It was, it was literally heaven on earth for them. And here's what happens. They sin, and immediately there's something between them and God, and that means there's something between each other. And because of that, they felt shame. Shame over who God had made them to be, Shame over what they had done. Shame and, and distance from each other. Do you see this distance from each other now? This occurs right here? They felt shame. They felt shame. How many of you have felt ashamed before? Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. We're to blame. All right. So, so this, is, this is what happens. They cover themselves up with, with these leaves and they're, they're kind of hiding themselves from each other and they're, they're hiding themselves from God. And it says this in verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they did what? Hid. Smart move. Now I'm telling you, if you're going to ever lose a game of hide and seek, you're going to lose it with God. Talk to Jonah about it, right? Eventually, God's like, you know, I can still find you no matter where you are. Go to the bottom of the ocean for a while. No, the Lord, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They're hiding behind trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, and he says this, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And here we have another sin. <laughs> what happens here? The man replied, it was the, it was the woman you gave who gave me the fruit and, and I ate it. But, but what does he say here too? It was the woman you gave me. Who's he blaming? Ooh, Adam, 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 Adam. Have you ever had your kids blame you for them messing up? Have you ever blamed God for the mess you created? Heavens, yes, I have, right? I'll say, well, what, God, why did you allow that? Why did you make, why did you, what, what, and that's what I'm doing. And then if I, if I don't take personal responsibility over my situation and what's happening around me, this is what I ultimately do. I blame God because I think, well, it wasn't my fault. And that's what Adam's saying, right? Not my fault. 
the woman you thought was such a good idea to give me did this. If we, if we go back earlier, Adam seems pretty happy with the gift he had. Adam seems pretty pleased. He says, oh, oh this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. This is part of me. Woohoo! I have a partner. Now all of a sudden he's like, God, if you hadn't brought her here, none of this would have happened. I wouldn't be itching. I, I wouldn't be ashamed. I often wonder what God would have done if, if he had owned it. I think maybe it would have been a little bit different, huh? I think a lot of things would have happened, but it would have been a little bit different. Do you see how one sin leads to what? Another sin. And it takes all of half, not probably not even half a day, it takes all of one evening before he's blaming God for his problems. You see that? Okay, Eve's going to do a lot better, right? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Well, it was the serpent. The serpent you made. <laughs> oh, gee. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, this is, this is where it becomes a problem, right? This is, it's already a problem. This is where we see what happens, where chaos starts. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly groveling the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then said, he said to the woman, this is actually, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel is actually a reference to Jesus there. I want you to see that too. It's actually him on the cross. He gets killed, but he does what? Rises again, right? And then death is crushed. And that's like being crushed on the head, okay? Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And all the women said, ouch, right? And in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to, con to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. And through... And though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat, have food to eat, and from which you were made, for where you were made from dust, in dust you will return. Bummer, huh? This is why you don't like to get up in the morning to go to work. <laughs> because it's hard. It's not just fun. Now, don't, go, don't get me wrong. Adam and Eve had to work. They had things they had to do in the garden, but it was, it was like fun. It was exciting to them all the time. It was good. And, and now it's like, things are going to be different. Things are going to be different. And so you, you read further and you see that uh, they're sent out of the, the, the garden. And, and well, let's read it, verse 20. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So they got out of that itchy stuff, right? We here have the first sign of death that occurs that we see in scripture and, and that an animal is sacrificed in order for them and, and i just want to point towards further towards christ in this because what we see here is an animal sacrifice to cover their shame so now they have clothing and they're covered then the lord god said look the human beings have become like us knowing both good and evil 
What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So they're cast out, right? They had a situation where it was almost like heaven on earth, and they lost it because of what they did and the choices that they made. Have you ever had something that's too good to be true, so you accidentally mess it up? No? Awesome. Good work. You guys are all looking at me confused. Have you ever had something that seems so good that you're afraid to lose it, and then you kind of sabotage it yourself? No one else? No one has done that? No, you never question, like, why it's so good, and you start looking for problems in it? Yeah, you've done that? That's what I'm talking about. This is kind of what happens here. Yeah, I, want, I want you to realize also here what, what occurs is you have Adam and Eve deciding what is good and evil. Eve assumed the right to decide if God was wrong and, and determine for themselves. And now ever since then, we have had this struggle within ourselves to either agree with God or disagree with him. And we want to determine whether God is right in this situation or not. Have you ever read a Bible verse and be, been upset by what God has said? No? You ever said, well, my life doesn't measure up to that. When we go back to the verse we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, it said, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is what? Right. How many of you like to be told that you're wrong? I, I hate being told that I'm wrong. I hate being told that what I did was bad. You don't want to know why? Because I feel a bit of shame, and then I feel angry, and I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I was right. How many of you have found somebody else, or maybe you yourself, have seen somebody that justifies their actions all of the time? You know what's happening in that moment? It's like Adam and Eve in the garden where they're saying, God, the person you gave me, or the thing that you made, or the thing that you did, is why this is happening. I want you to know that most people that do bad things in their life think that they're doing good. Most of the people that do wrong things that hurt others think that they're doing the ultimate good. Why? Because they're justifying in their mind that the best for them is the best, and that is good. You see what I'm saying? The, the Old Testament says everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Have you ever gone to a workplace like that? Have you ever gone to an environment like that where everyone's doing whatever they want? It's chaos, isn't it? And it's justified because they think that they're doing what is good and what is right. But it's not. God is the one that determines what is good and what is right. And when we talk about righteousness, when we talk about holiness, what we're talking about is God's goodness and the good that is within the world and the good that he created. And when we talk about evil, we're talking about decisions that people make to hurt themselves to hurt God, to hurt the relationships with each other, and to cause grief and pain in the world today. How many of you would look around and say that you see chaos in the world? That you see destruction in the world? This is the God's explanation for that. 
And it's also an explanation as to why you know that it's not good. Because there is part of us that's still like Adam and Eve in the garden that knows when they see good and, and right. And there's still another part of us that's at war with each, ourselves where we are seeing things and we're justifying our bad behavior. Well, if they hadn't said that to me, then I wouldn't have said that to them. If they hadn't done that to me, then I wouldn't have to pay them back. If, if this hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have to happen. We are all cause and effect in this situation. And a lot of times we want to blame others for the pain that we have caused. Are you with me? And that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They did that exact same thing. So if you look in our world today, think about politics. Yay! Everyone's like, I'm leaving. <laughs> think about it. It's always whose fault? Theirs. It's always the other's fault, right? It's always someone else's fault. Very rarely will you find people that take responsibility and say, I messed up and I'm going to work to do it to make it better, right? But this is what you find in Scripture. You see that over and over again, people are doing the same thing. They're sinning. So Adam is, is called the first Adam is the one that made sin. The second Adam, we're going to talk about him in a few weeks is what we call Jesus Christ. He's the one that brings salvation. So through the first Adam, we have sin that poisoned the entire world. And through the second Adam, we have salvation, the offer of grace that is given to the entire world so that we can apologize, say we're sorry, mean it, accept God's grace, and accept Jesus as a sacrifice over our sins and be restored into communication with God the way Adam and Eve were in the garden. It's the beginning of restoration for us. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Everyone say, I'm awake. Thank you. Wow. A few of you are still asleep. If someone's asleep, slap them, all right? <laughs> Real gently. <laughs> all right, so, so Genesis 4. I want you to turn there real quick. Genesis 4, verse 3. So Adam and Eve have some kids. And then verse 3, we see, when it was time for the harvest, this is one of the boys, Cain. Everyone say Cain. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. I want you to notice this. He presented some. Have you ever had your kids say, you ask them, did you clean your room? And they say some or a little. This is, what, this is what's happening here with Cain. So it's, a, it's important to catch that. It's important to see that, that, that some means it isn't the best. It means it's not the, 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 actually what the Lord wants. He's handing him the stuff out of his pocket, the bottom of the barrel kind of thing. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. So the best, the first, before he even got to eat, he's bringing it. Cain is doing what? Giving God the scraps. You see this? So this is, this is the deal. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. That means he was upset, right? Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Everyone say, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. How many of you know sin wants to control you? It wants to charge. A lot of the times we are fooled into thinking that sin is freedom. 
and joy and, and fun, and we get to do what we want. But in honesty, if you go into sin, it eventually wants to do what? Control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. Sounds cool. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Not cool. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? And the Lord says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which was swallowed your brother's blood. How long did it take from Adam and Eve's sin before we have brothers killing each other? It's the first generation, isn't it? Do you see how sin, it, it can come in just like something small. It can come in just a little bit. And before you know it, your kids are paying the penalty. You see this? How many of you know that, that, that we sometimes mess up and do the things our parents did? And then a lot of times we want to blame our parents for it, but we, we continue on in what we're going to do. It doesn't take long before a, a sin turns into a murder and before this all is like just chaos in the world. And we go on to read more and more that it, it just becomes so bad. That in fact, God says he, he regrets making humanity because he's so dismayed by it. And it goes on to where when, instead of just husband and wife, we have situations in Scripture where, where one guy... He marries more than one wife, and that wasn't what God intended to begin with. You see that in Scripture. And then he starts singing songs about killing people. He says, well, it was self-defense, so it was good. And he sings songs about it. And eventually we go so far as to where we don't even know all the things that are happening in Noah's day, but people are being killed all the time. It says humanity was so evil that it was hard to find one that was right in God's eyes. And he's so dismayed by this that he develops a plan to kind of hit the reset button. You ever play a video game and it zonks out on you or you start losing and what do you do? Hit the reset button. And so the reset button is pushed with Noah. And it's not the cutesy nursery story we tell ourselves sometimes. It is one of the slate being wiped clean because God is just. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the coming weeks where we, we look at this, because it's really hard for us to understand the mind of God because we're humans. But the idea that God hates sin is so strong that he wants to eradicate it completely. And he can see generation after generation down the line. And his desire and the plan that he has in place right now is to wipe out sin for how long? Forever. You with me? How long does God want to get rid of sin? Why? Why does he hate it so much? Because it causes dissension between each other and because it also creates a situation where we can't get along, where we cause conflict, where we cause chaos, and where we're not in communication with God. The good news, though, in Genesis 9, 1, God tells Noah to be fruitful and multiply, and he does a good job because you're here, amen? <laughs> amen. So, hey, we talked about chaos, what is the solution to chaos? You guys know what the solution to chaos is? Chaos there you go. Levi, right? Thank you, buddy. I like your name, too. Give Levi a hand. The solution to chaos is God. We cause the problem, right? 
Who's going to get us out of it? God. Jesus is a solution to that. But before Jesus comes, God creates an understanding between humanity and him and starts what we call the covenant. So we go, from, we go from creation to chaos to covenant. We're going to talk about covenant and how it shows us who Jesus is going to be next week, okay? Let's stand. I want to pray over you. I know that's a lot to take in really quick. And there's so much more. I, I want to encourage you to read Genesis. To, to look at what the Bible says. And see why we're in the situation we're in. How it all started. How it all came together. And last week we talked about why are we here. And it's because God said it, it was good. And we are built for his pleasure. And built for, for worship and these types of things. And then we see that the chaos around us in the world today is a direct effect of sin. And now we're all, and then talk about this in this, now because of Adam, we are all born with this poison of death within us, right? We're all born with a natural in, in, inclination to sin, and it doesn't take us long before we're doing things that hurt ourselves and hurt others and, and hurt our relationship with God. But Jesus came to bring us life, eternal life, Amen. And life abundantly, he wants to pull us out of that and restore us back into what humanity was meant to be. To be truly human means to be like Jesus Christ and to be without sin. We are bent and twisted by the enemy, but God is in the business of restoring us. Amen? Everyone turn to each other. Say it gets better. Say Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in the scripture and the sermon we're going to be talking about, but Jesus is also coming eventually. Amen? And in that time, he's going to restore all things unto himself. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's in here right now. I ask that you speak to them, that you open up their understanding of your word, that you show them that the good things that are still in creation, because we do see a lot of good things. Lord, I thank you for even that sunset last night. You are the greatest painter of all time. The skies declare your majesty. Creation shouts and proclaims your name. Lord, I thank you that you've called us together today to look at your word. And Lord, I pray and put myself right in this position too that you would start to pull that sin out of us, that I would stop making excuses, that we would stop making excuses, and instead we would say, Lord, we need your help. God, I've sinned. I've fallen short of what you wanted me to do. Lord, we know that we all mess up, but you're in the business of restoration, and I thank you that while there is chaos in the world today, there is comfort in the arms of Christ that you have set us apart and you are creating within us the desires for good, the desires for love for others, and the desires to bring us back more and more in line with your original creation. Lord, I thank you for that restorative act that you do called salvation. Jesus, we need that every day. We thank you for it. Heal us in our hearts, in our minds, 
Take away the effects of the poison of sin in us and help us to be restored into Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.